theyeshiva.net. So what was the summation? The summation of what we learned was that the soul essentially neshama shenasata bitahiri. Right? The neshama is before barasa, it's tahira. In other words, it's higher than being a nivra. It's part of the bayre. It's part of the bayre. Which is basically an idea... Even after you're born. It's what the neshama is. The source, the core of the soul is tahira. It's beyond bria. And the truth is, this is an explanation. There's a Sefer Kuzari, Sefer Kuzari, Rabbi Yehuda Halevi. It's considered one of the most basic works on Jewish philosophy and theology, ethics. But Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, who lived in the 10 hundreds, the 11th century in Spain, he was a poet, he was a philosopher, he was a great leader. His name was Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, the Kuzari. The Sefer Kuzari is basically a novel. It's a, it's a f- fiction novel about a uh, non-Jewish king from the from the, from the Khazarite, uh, it's basically near the Black and Caspian Sea, southern Russia, who converted. Now that's a historic fact, that there was a king of Khuzar who converted and converted his whole country, and for a few hundred years there was a Jewish empire in southern Russia until it was destroyed. But the Khuzari created a fiction around how he converted. So basically the king has conversations with a Muslim, with a Christian, and with a Talmud Chachem, to decide which is the true religion, and then he becomes a Jew and he converts his entire nation. That's a real story in history, but the Kuzari made a book based on it of the so-called conversation that the king had with the Muslim, the Christian, and the Jew. So it became a very fundamental work in, in, in Judaism, called the Kuzari. It's accepted almost universally by everybody. So uh, in the Kuzari, he says over there that there's four categories in the Bria. There's Doimim, Tzemeach, Chaim, Medaber, and then he says, there's Ummah HaYisraelis, there's the Jewish people. It's not part of Daimim Tzemech HaMedab. And it's so very hard to understand, what does the Kuzari mean? But this is what he's referring to. He's referring to the idea that the soul is not considered a chilek of the Bria. The soul is considered a chilek of the Boire, of the Creator, not of the creation. And that's the whole Yisoyed of what we explained yesterday, what Emunah is. Emunah means, because of this dimension of the soul, the soul experiences the Creator just like it experiences itself. And this is really the secret of the Jewish people. The, for example, the obsession of anti-Semitism against the Jewish people, which is irrational. Nobody even knows why. Can't figure it out. There's something about the Jew that just sticks out. It's like a sore thumb in the consciousness of humanity, and it's always been that way. And whatever the Jews try doing, it didn't help. Secularizing, integrating, assimilating. Ultimately, it came back to haunt them. Because the hatred of the Jew is really that the Jews carry the burden of God in history. Even the most secular Jew in the world, in this sense, is not less than divine than the most religious Jew. The distinctions between religious Jews and secular Jews ultimately is external. It's not in this level. On this level, there's complete equality between the Gadol Shabbat and the Katan Shabbat Because this Nekuda doesn't have to do with his choices, his level of observance, his knowledge, or his commitment. This Nekuda has to do with the fact that that the Neshama is a Chelek of the Boire, not a Chelek of the Bria, this is in him. How he harnesses it, how much he's aware of it, what the outlet is, oh, this differs. You can't compare it to how Freud experienced his godly soul. 
how Karl Marx experiences godly soul, how Albert Einstein experiences godly soul, to how the Baal Shem Tov experiences godly soul. You can't compare it. But there is a common denominator in all of them. And that is, they all tried to change the world. They all felt that their they weren't content with the status quo. There was a revolutionary spirit that I have to go beyond the world. I have to change the world. The Jew doesn't know how to make peace with the world because he's rooted in a place that's deeper than the world, that's higher than the world. So that's why there's a spirit of revolution. What the spirit of revolution is, that could be very different. But they both have that common denominator, and that is that there's an angst. There's a... Um, a yearning, a deep <laughs> he may not even know to what, but there's a certain lack of manuchas ha-nefesh, there's a certain lack of serenity, because there's something pumping in him and that is not part of the Bria, it's part of the Boire for it to be nurtured it has to embrace what it really is fully, fully become aware of it and embrace mm-hmm. it, and then it's like a fish in water, as Rabbi Akiva says when the fish is not in water it's very, very anxious. You see what the fish looks like. And sometimes when the fish is not in water, it's much more, uh, it's much more lebedic than when it's in water. So actually you think that the fish is much more alive because it's out of water. Of course, it's busy dying. It's not busy living. Sometimes you see a person out of water and they're much more alive than the person in water. Their life seems so interesting. Every night they're somewhere else. <laughs> Every week they're with somebody else. Life is so interesting. Because whenever you're busy dying, life is always interesting. Whenever you're in water, things are peaceful. So sometimes you're in water with the neshama, sometimes not. But this is the nekuda that the kuzari makes. That you're dealing with doimim, tzemei, chayim, adabin, and then there's a realm that's above it. Huh? It's the Har It's why it originated from Har The Gemara in Shabbos. Now, but the neshama doesn't remain in a state of tahayra. The neshama comes from tahayra into a state of barasa. Becomes a nivra. So this is what the Balatanya says here, that for the neshama to morph into a new identity, it's always midas hamalchus. Midas hamalchus, Hashem malach geus lavish, is the levush that allows there to be a yesh. Because eid melech beloyam, for a melech to be a melech, there has to be an am who is separate. You can't be a melech even if you have a thousand children. Even if you have a hundred children, you're not called a melech on your children. A father who calls himself a king is not in touch with who he is. A father is not a king. Why? There's a relationship of a father to a children, a relationship of a melech to a nation. It's a different relationship. One's relationship is based on the fact that they are essentially one. You're one with your children. This doesn't mean a father doesn't have authority, but it means that the nature is a different type of authority. Where a melech, the very nature of the relationship is that we're actually not the same. We're separate. And we choose the relationship. A melech here is not just, remember in these days, in the, in, when this maimer was said, the concept of a melech was daily reality. For us, a melech doesn't exist really. You have the queen of England as a shvache queen, and the king of Denmark as a shvache king. Maybe in America you have a king. But um, <laughs> the concept of a real king doesn't exist, a real monarch. So it's hard for us to understand even that the Jews, for the, every mashal, so many mashalim were melech, 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 because we even Hashem is melech ha'olam, because melech was, uh, was ingrained into the fabric of society. It was like, it was like breathing. <laughs> you grew up with a melech. You were born into a melech. Everything was the melech. 
right? Even in Shtaris and Rosh Hashanah, you had to write the years of the Melech. Everything was the Melech. So Melech was a very common metaphor. But the idea of a Melech is any relationship that exalts you, it puts you on a pedestal as a result of people who are not obligated to you, choose to give you a position of authority. That creates a certain dynamic in you that can't happen if one of two things happen. It's people who are not separate from you. It's people who are naturally part of you. That will never happen. And second of all, it's people that you force to choose you, and then it also won't happen. So you understand? These are two elements of malucha. Number one, it's people who are naturally disconnected from you and choose to put you on a pedestal in terms of what you can give them, and that creates the dynamic of malucha. It brings out something very deep in a person. What does it bring out? It brings out the quality of malucha, the quality of leadership. I can't have this with people who are organically connected to me. It doesn't bring out that concept of malucha. And it does not happen if I force the people to do it, because then it's not them. Malchusoy, berotzin kiblu alayim. So over your children, you can't be a melech. On the other hand, you can have a hundred million ants. You could go to a colony of a hundred million ants and be a melech over them. You think you're going to feel like a melech? It's not going to happen. You know why? Because the ants are not choosing you. In fact, the ants couldn't care less if you uh, if you go prava pesach somewhere else. You split those two concepts before when we talked about kafalem harke gigas. That there, where it's not a melech, kafalem harke gigas, where it's because we're one, we're an organic. That that was the relationship with the part of the organism. On the other hand, it was it was still a kfia. I mean, right. So that's the issue in the world of tahira within a shamas tahira. There's no malchus. Malchus necessitates the world to experience itself separate from God. Only if I'm separate from you can I become a melech. I'll give an example that's more contemporary, but it's really a similar concept, even though it's not the word melech, and that is marriage. Can you force somebody to get married? You could, but it's not a marriage. A forced marriage is not a marriage. By definition, you have to want the person. If you don't want, it has to be based on want. You have to want the person. If you don't want the person, it can't be that relationship. Yeah. Now take another example. What happens to a president, take president of the United States, the day before he's elected and the day after he's elected? I don't, I don't mean, I'm not talking now about our contemporary president, whatever your opinion is, you love him or you loathe him. I'm talking about the concept. Does the president, the day he's elected, learn anything new in terms of information? Whatever he knew before, he knows today. Whatever he didn't know yesterday, he doesn't, he doesn't know today. Besides maybe a few secrets of the CIA. But nonetheless, he's a new person. What makes him a new person? What makes him a new person? He may have been a top lawyer for many, many years, a top judge for many, many years, a top senator for many, many years. He knows yesterday whatever he knows today. But once he's elected as a president, he's a Naya Mensch. It's not the same person. What is it? Midas HaMalchus. Okay. I'll give another example. Somebody sits in medical school for 20 years and studies and studies and studies and knows everything. And then one day, suddenly, the head of the hospital, of the, the neurological department or whatever department, is gone. And they bring him in and they appoint him. That day, he didn't learn anything new in the medical field. But he's a different person. Why? He became a melech that day. He was chosen by people who didn't have to choose him. It's not a dictatorship. And they put him on a posi- in a position where he became a leader. It turns you into a different person. A Rebbe? Like a Melech or like a Father? A real Rebbe? 
the pens, there's different relationships. The aspect of teaching, over there it's not a melech, over there it's fakert, it's, it's, it's a rav and a talmud, it's not an union of melech. Then there's a concept of maluch. concept of maluch is leadership. Maluch represents manhigos. Man malker rabbanon. is the element of maluch. But it always has to be berotzeh. A Rebbe who forces his authority on his Hasidim is not a Rebbe. It doesn't exist. And there's no relationship. The whole relationship that Hasidim had with their Rebbe, the first prerequisite was voluntary. If it's not, if it's voluntary, then it's very powerful. Right? If it's legal, you have no choice because I'm going to throw out, then it's, 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 it is what it is. I guess we're not going to go there at the moment. Huh? No, it's a different relationship. It's fine. It's a different relationship. And it's not talking about the nature of the person. The prerequisite of a real relationship with, with the Rebbe and the Chassid was completely voluntary. Completely. Once he chose, he chose. But it's like marriage. Once you choose, you choose. You have to be a responsible person. But uh, you can't tell a woman you have to get married. It's not a relationship. It's not a relationship. They had to be rotsen. Oh, most kings were not. Most kings were dictators. Some were benevolent dictators, some were not. But it's not melucha. It's called memshala. Memshala is balkarcha. Melucha is, is, is berotzen. Malchusay berotzen. Melucha is berotzen. That brings out melucha. For Hashem to be a melech, he has to be in a relationship with people who are outside of him. If there's no outsideness, there's no melucha. Ein melech beloy am. Let's see weiter. Velochei nikra hamalchus yam. You see 32, the line starts hamalchus, in the middle of the page. Velochei nikra hamalchus yam. That's why in Kabbalah, whenever it says yam, the sea, it's a metaphor for malchus. Why? Ki hine, the Gemara says in Chulin, listen to this. Kol mash yesh biyabosha yesh bayam. Whatever you have on dry land, you have in the, in the, in the oceans, in the seas. Today we know, you go down to the bottom of the seas, you have a whole universe there. Everything you there. All types of creatures and plants. And the Gemara makes a chajman. Whatever you have, you have, and the other way also. What's the difference? The difference is, in dry land, you see everything. You see the diversity. You come to the ocean, the, what is it called? The, the water... Uh, the surface of the water, the waterbed covers over. You can't see what's inside. You could see a few fish maybe on top, but that's it. V'chach l'mayla. Yabosha and yam represent two realities, l'mayla. What do we mean by l'mayla? L'mayla we mean in the spiritual realms. The letters, yihir, let there be light. Yihirakia, let there be a heaven. These are just examples. He means all of the letters that created the world are, so to speak, in the world of Atzillus. What do we mean in the world of Atzillus? They are divine energy. And then you have an ocean, a sea. That's Malchus. That's why the Yam in Kabbalah is Malchus. The Yam covers it. So that the Oasis should not be revealed to any of the creations that are created from these letters. If the Oasis would be revealed, if it wouldn't be a Yam, if it would be a Bosha, the Gashmias would be completely bottled. It would be completely lost in the spiritual energy. His favorite mushal, one of his favorite mashalam, like 
A light wave in the solar core. What a mushroom. A light wave in the solar core. It's there, but it doesn't occupy significant space. When the light wave leaves the Meyer, a place where there's no Meyer, right here, we don't have the solar core. Thank God we're alive because of that. The light wave is very significant. It fills your house with light. It fills your world with light. But in the Meyer itself, if you go to the sun, the light wave is there, but it doesn't occupy space because it's obvious that it's simply completely submerged and nullified in the Meir. If we would see the Isis, the Gashmias would also be here. Everything would be here. But what would be noticeable is the Ruchnias that gives it Chios. You can't even have a neshama or a malach who are separate. He says, even though they're in love with God, but there's somebody who's in love with God, unless elakus is not begilu. Even the highest malach, for him to exist, the highest neshama, for it to be a neshama that has ava, elakus can't be begilu. The helam the this is a klal gadol. What's the klal gadol? Malchus is the cause of the yesh. Malchus is the ocean, the sea, the yam, that covers up everything that's there. Even though it's there, but you can't see it. And because you can't see it, therefore there can be the experience of a, of a yesh. What's the Havana here? What's the Havana? The Havana here is that basically the world projects itself in a certain way. That perception of how we experience the world would be completely altered if our eyes and our minds would be able to perceive the nature of true reality. Because we don't see the nature of true reality, Therefore, we could live in a certain dynamic. We could live in a certain world. What world is that? That's a world of yesh. What would happen if we would see the oisius of the Bria? Really, the whole Bria is created from oisius. It's really the energy of the oisius that constitutes the Bria. But what do we see in the Bria? We don't see letters. What do we see? We don't see letters. We see physical, brute reality. You have this even, as we spoke a few times, you have this even before you get to Elikos, before you get to Ruchnis, you have this even in Gashmis. You have even in Gashmis that our eyes don't perceive the nature of reality. If our eyes would perceive the nature of reality, so I'm looking at a cup, I wouldn't see a cup. What would I see? If my eyes would be able to perceive all the layers of this cup, so I would see atoms, and how many you're dealing with, with, with numbers that are be, even beyond our imagination, a one with, with, with 18 zeros or so. And these atoms are in constant movement, constant flux. It's a whole world. And remember, they're so tiny, they're so small, and atoms have different components, different components. And yet, 
yet an atom which is made up of different components mm-hmm. of the atom, most of the atom is empty space. Most of the atom, 99.9% is empty space. But it's so small that my eye doesn't acknowledge the empty space. So what does my eye do? It puts things together, just like two stars that are a billion light years away, and it looks like it's basically Kedei Achilles Pras, to get from one star to the other star. It's a Bezdalad Amis. Even though it's only a billion light years away, which means... Which means you could travel not only your life, you could travel billions and billions of lives and not even get close. But the eyes are not goitus. If my eyes, it's, it's a sheer hilich talad amas. The eyes is also put together. That itself. Yeah, that itself. The eyes themselves. So the eyes say, what is a solid cup? Even though 99.9 here is empty space. So on one level, it's one thing. On another level, it's another thing. Take a person, a person is really DNA. What's DNA? Oiseus. It's all Oiseus. DNA, they call it digital computer code. It's Oiseus. That's what it is. The whole world is Oiseus. The whole world is divine Oiseus. Divine letters. But, if we would see it, it's not that there wouldn't be Gashmis. There would be Gashmis. But the Gashmis wouldn't have a Tfisus Makim. It wouldn't occupy space. It wouldn't have a Yeshus. It would be completely bottled to the Ruchnis. What do we mean by bottle? Bottle means you wouldn't see it as anything but the reflection of the Ruchnis. That's what a Tzomotzius would be. And therefore, the muscle for that is the light, the light rays that come into our home, come into our planet, they don't begin here. They begin in the sun. If the ray is in my house, it's certainly in the sun. It comes from there. What do we say in Adoyna in uh, Kale Aden on Shabbos? You ever thought about that redundancy? What's Pshat? Meleim Ziv means what? They're filled with radiance. Mefikim Noiga means they emit light. What's the difference? Malayim Ziv is the way the Ziv is inside. Malayim Ziv. Mefikim Naiga means the way it comes out. Inside the sun, you also have the light of the sun. But I ask you a question. If we would travel to the sun, would I say, hey, look, 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 you remember the light that came into our house? Look, it's there. <laughs> it's a joke. A light wave in the solar core. It's there, of course it's there. Fakert. It's there in an even more powerful way than it's here. Because that's the source. It's there even more than it's here. But because it's there, it doesn't have its own name. It doesn't have its own identity. If you would see the Ruchnius of the world, the Oisius, the Tzamshad, there wouldn't be Gashmis. Fakert. The Gashmis would even be more powerful because you would see it in its source. But what's Pshat? Pshat is it wouldn't have a Hergish of Yeshus. It wouldn't have a Hergish of separateness. So we have a paradox. You look at the world... On one level, the entire universe is really consciousness. The entire universe is really divine letters, divine thoughts. That's what it is. It's consciousness. And yet you're walking on a sidewalk, all you see is a sidewalk. All you see is a car. All you see is a house. All you see is a body. You don't see anything of the inner core, which really captures the entire essence of the Geshem. And the Geshem, if you would see it, would not be Teufus Mok, it wouldn't have its own name. What creates this transition, this metamorphosis? This is Midas HaMalchus. Midas HaMalchus means 
that Hashem wanted that the world should experience itself as being separate, being distinct. He wants a relationship that is chosen by that which is outside, that which is separate, that which is distinct. In other words, in Judaism, as much as Devekus is important, separateness is equally important. Because that's what the Yesh creates. God doesn't only want you to be one, He also wants you to be not one. If He wanted you to be one, then there wouldn't be Midas Amalchus. Midas Amalchus means that you're something who is, experiences itself as a human being. And that comes into the relationship. You come into the relationship with yourself. So the very self is the critical component of the relationship. Because if there's no self, there's no Midas Amalchus. Ein Melech Beloyam. You bring the self into the relationship. And that's what the yam is. The yam has everything, but it's concealed. I look at the yam, all I see is water. I look at the world, all I see is gesha. All I see is the physical. I don't see anything else. Even though it's really a whole different reality. With my brain, with my soul, I can begin to discern layers and layers of the true, of the true nature of reality. But this is a fascinating thing. You know, if you uh, nibble a little bit of, uh, of literature, of modern physics... The way some physicists describe the world today is incredibly, incredibly unique because it's literally, you'll read Isis in, in secular magazines or, or essays that in, in the Kutta is common language. For example, I remember I once read an article, um, basically the whole universe is thoughts. <laughs> the whole universe is thoughts, that's what it is. That's really, really what it is. When you go to deeper layers of subatomic particles, sub-subatomic particles, yeah, they don't even speak about <laughs> things having a, a, a state. They're not even a state. It's basically paradoxes are happening all the time, and your, thought, your observation of it puts it into a particular reality, affects it. So it's like you're dealing with an entire dynamic universe that's very different than what we experience intuitively. It's a whole different experience. But that's really, really what's happening. And yet, we live in that world. That's part of the plan. It's not a mistake. It's not a tragedy. We don't live in that world of uh, what's called the quantum world. We live in... Uh, huh? We live, yeah. We live in the world of, of, of Chitzaydis. That transition happens through Midas HaMalchus. Ein Melech That's why Malchus is the Yam. And even on a Shama and a Malach, for it to become a Metzius... That has love. We're not only talking about the physical. Even a shaman amalach, he says, could not be a shaman amalach if a lakus was begilui. There has to be a hell of Esther. There has to be a concealment of a lakus for the neshama to be able to be a shaman amalach. If this is the case, we could soon come to begin to understand the concept of kriyas yamsuf. What the whole concept of kriyas yamsuf is, the splitting of the sea. It's not a, it's a small technical thing. I mean, not stop a miracle of a splitting of the sea. The splitting of the sea represents a transformation of consciousness. As he will continue. But in the yam, everything is concealed. So in Kabbalah, Tayus Hanister Yam is associated with Malchus. Kizeh Klal Gadol Shah Malchus Hiya Geremes Lias Prinis Yesh Kiniskele. 
This is a Kalal Gadol. Kalal Gadol means it's a fundamental principle that the Hester comes through Malchus. Midas HaMalchus is what causes and allows there to be a Yesh, otherness. In other words, it is the cosmic sea that eclipses the true nature of the universe. So, if all the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear as is, infinite. But the doors of perception are not cleansed. The doors of perception are clouded. They're tainted by the cosmic yam, the cosmic sea, which gives us an appearance that we see water, and we fail to see what is beneath the water. Of course, the mushal is an incomplete mushal, because in the yam, the water actually exists. It's just on top, and it continues to go down. It's just there are many other things we don't see. Here, of course, what we're saying is that essentially it's the light wave in the solar core, it's part and parcel of the part and parcel. It's an expression of it. It's a detail of it. The Gashmis is completely an expression of the Ruchnis. It doesn't have a Chashivas Bifnayatsma. It's simply an outgrowth of the divine energy. That cosmic Yam is Midas HaMalchus. Why? Because the relationship of Midas HaMalchus necessitates otherness. For me to love you. You don't have to be. You don't have to be separate from me. I could love myself too. Hopefully, you love yourself. It's a clear posture that you allowed to love yourself. Yeah, <laughs> you should love your friend like you love yourself. You don't need somebody else for love. You could love yourself. Not only that, there's people who sit on mountains or in forests and they write poetry of love to the universe to humanity, to global warming, uh, to some perceived friend that they have in reality or illusion. On the contrary, until you meet them, the love is usually stronger. It's much better. So the same is true with every other midah in the world. Chachma, you don't need otherness for Chachma. For Bina, for Gvura, for Tiferes, all the midahs you can experience within yourself and vis-a-vis yourself or vis-a-vis other people, but without the experience of other people. There's one exception, Malchus. Malchus, the experience of Malchus, cannot happen without otherness. It just won't happen. And I'll give, I'll give again an example. You could love without anybody else. On the contrary, you could sit on a mountain and write love letters and love poems to God, to humanity, to yourself, to, to, to somebody in your life, to your child, to a best friend, whatever it is. But here's the question. Can you actually be married to yourself? Could you be married to yourself? <laughs> no, I'm saying, could you be married? What do I mean? The definition of marriage is the experience of life in relation to another. That is the definition. It's not the atnai. It's not the adin. That is the definition. It's the feedback. It's the head-and-head collision. Hopefully it's not a collision. But it's the fact that two people encounter each other in life. That is the experience. You'll say, oh, let me go away from 40, 40 years. I'll go somewhere and we'll be married. Okay, man. 
mean, you could do that theoretically, but the definition of it is what happens to you as a result of the other. There's no melech. I can't experience malchus if I'm not in a relationship with my am. There's a relationship with somebody who's not me, somebody who's outside of me. And all the other mishalom of leadership in any form or fashion. The melech is the quintessential form of leadership, but really any form of leadership, it's about the impact of the people. It's the impact of the people. Ein melech beloyam. That's what it means. Ein melech beloyam is not a technical thing. Why don't you say, Ein oyev beloy ahuv. Say the same thing. Ein oyev beloy ahuv. There's no lover without somebody being loved. Of course there's no lover without somebody being loved. But the object of the love could be me. Or the object of the love could be somebody I never saw in my life. <laughs> or the object of the love could be somebody that I'm not connected to. And the love could be very intense. In fact, as I said, sometimes it's much more poetic when you're not there. Because there's nothing that disturbs it, not even you. Like somebody once said, you know, why do you have to come here to remind me that I don't love you? If you wouldn't be here, I would think I love you. It would be wonderful. But the ohuv doesn't have to be a person in reality right in front of me. Melech, I can't sit on a mountain and say, I'm a melech. <laughs> melech is the experience that happens from the contact, the feedback, the relationship. It's being in an active relationship. It's not in a theoretical relationship. All the other middas could be theoretical. We're talking about a leader can't experience the, 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 the emotion of the soul called malchus, the fuse of the soul called malchus cannot be experienced if there's no actual relationship with another. I could sit in my room and be maskalas kolas. I can be very intelligent. Fakert, the more isolated, the more wisdom. Right? No, no, in many ways, because you have the mental space to be able to think, to be able to develop. Right? Great minds went into isolation for a reason. They don't want to be bothered by anything. The melech needs the am. Can't be a melech without the am. Every, every soul has midas hamalchus. Every soul is one of the ten midas, one of the ten koiches. But midas hamalchus can only come out through a relationship with somebody else. You cannot bring it out in yourself. I told you, somebody could be could be studying medicine for 70 years, and they know everything. It's not malchus, it's wisdom. The day they're appointed as the head of the hospital, they become a melech. But that they can't do on their own. It's basically the fact that the people appointed you, and you're in a relationship with them, you're responsible to them. You understand? You could think about, you could think, the same is true, every, all these types of experiences. The author... Somebody could write a book in his library, again, for 50 years, with great chachma. But it's the publishing and people reading it, and the response he gets from them that puts him into a different place. He can't, you can't facilitate that on your own. You need the da'am to bring that out in you. It's a different prima. It's a self-awareness that only comes from people outside of you. From the feedback, from the experience, from the collision. But if our midos are mirrors of the Rebarshal's midos, Malchus is different. I mean, unless you go back to what you used to, to speak about with Yaakov and Leia, etc., the Rebarshal's Malchus comes about because he hides his true self. He's the cousin, the Yam Mashal, or whatever else you want to give. In our relationships, we don't develop a relationship with other by withdrawing who are real in so that a relationship can emerge. We're not dependent on having to hide, to, to change ourselves, to be mitzamtzim. You know, it's, it's not the exact same there. 
Okay, that's a very interesting question. There is an obvious difference between Hashem's Malchus and our Malchus. Since Hashem is Enoid Mulvada, it's the only reality. So for Hashem to be a Chachem, to be a Maven, to be a Chesed, a Chazdan, he doesn't need hell of a head, he doesn't have to conceal himself. But for Hashem to be a Melech, what does it mean? For Hashem to say very vulnerably, I want to be your Melech, as the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, Imru Lefanai Malchis Rosh Hashanah, Kedei Shetamlichuni Aleichem. Really? <laughs> it's like you'll turn to an ant and say, do me a favor. I really need you to make me a king over you. Now trust me, the relationship between us and an ant is far closer than the relationship between man and God. Relationship between, for Kate, ants are sometimes much smarter than men and much, uh, much more ambitious <laughs> and much more planned out. They're a little small, they're weak. But the ants are ganz uh, choshev, what they do. And still we understand it would be a joke. You're asking an ant to make you, to turn you into a melech and you want to feel good. So God, Hashem, who's infinite, looks at every nivra and he says, do me a favor, on Rish Hashanah, don't, let, don't leave me in the dark. When the Rebbe would say over the Gemara before Rish he would say, Hashem, he begs a Jew, I need you to make me a melech, really? And if I don't make you a melech, what's going to happen? You're going to have a nervous breakdown? You're going to have a self-esteem crisis because I'm not going to make you a melech? Just go out of planet Earth and just look at what planet Earth looks like from, from a spaceship, right? Not only I'm not a speck of dust, I'm not even a fraction of a fraction of an infinitesimal of a speck of dust. The whole planet looks like a, a marble, looks like a, a, a pea, looks like a pea. So in the pea, imagine you go to a pea on Rosh Hashanah, you know what a pea is, a green pea. And you go into the pea and you find up a little, little veramal somewhere and you say, do me a favor, make me a melech. Make me, make me a melech. And then he says, yeah, you're my melech. And I'm like, oh, now I feel good. It's a, a mud nazach, yeah? But the truth is that this is the Chiddush of Malchus. The Chiddush of Malchus is that God in His infinity craved to be in a relationship with that person that He creates. And if he, the moment he stops creating him, the ant, at least I don't create. At least the ant is different. Here, he creates, and then he says, oh, I want you to make me a melech. How am I going to make you a melech? With my mind and my breath that you gave me. So there's one condition that has to be, and that is Hester. There has to be concealment. That I, in my identity, should be able to feel that I'm an ant. Or even better, I am my own man. But that's only for Midas HaMalchus. Midas HaMalchus requires otherness. Now the truth is by people. Hashem conceals His infinity so that we don't see ourselves as the light wave in the solar core. We don't even see the light wave. We see completely separate. There's three stages. There's the light wave in the solar core. There's the light wave outside of the solar core, but you know it comes from the sun, and then you don't even know that you don't even see it's a light wave. You call it uh, biology. You call it uh, I don't know chemicals, amino acids, whatever you call it. Yeah, we have names. <laughs> we have names for it. That's why Malchus is always the the bridge between the higher world and the next world because it conceals the reality of one world, and it allows a new reality to emerge as a result of it. So everything comes through Malchus, but it's done in a way where it creates room for otherness. 
by a person you also have something, but it's not mamish the same comparison, because in a relationship you also have to be able to create space for another. If you don't create space for another, you can't have the benefit of Malchus. You can have a dictatorship, but you can't have the benefit of Malchus. Benefit of Malchus means it's always what you imp- how you impact me, but it's how you impact me. If I am controlling the you, then it's me impacting me. You can't be a melech over your computer, you understand? Why can't you be a melech over your computer? Because whatever your computer is telling you, it's what you told the computer to tell you. Because the government's looking for the computer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be a melech over somebody that you control because then you're not benefiting from the relationship. You tell yourself you're benefiting, but you're not. It's not a relationship with another because you are the one controlling it. You have a joystick and you're going like this, like this. That's why it's always about the autonomy. The more freedom you give, the more autonomy you give, the more you could be a melech. The less freedom you give, the smaller you become. Real malchus only happens by giving people space. Why are dictators frustrated people? Because they know that they're not malachim. They know that there's no real relationship. It's just, we're forced. In other words, you're in a relationship with yourself. You're not in a relationship with That's why they're so frustrated. So what do frustrated people do? They dictate even more. Because they're frustrated. So that makes them only more frustrated. The more you move back, the more space you give, the more success you have. Because it's actually a real relationship. The thrill is much deeper. It's people really choosing. It's a, when you control the situation, it looks good, but it's nothing. It's rotten. It's a joke. You type this what I'm saying? That's this space. is a very big you said. The, huh? the space is the concealment that you're talking the about? The space is the concealment. The space means that I create space for you where I am not present so you can be here. You could shine. You could make decisions. Now, if you decide to be in a relationship with me, it's going to be powerful. If I decide you're going to be in a relationship with me, okay, so it's me talking to me, fine. <laughs> it doesn't fill the void of a relationship, that's the point. It will not fill Midas HaMalchus. We have, in the jinnam of the soul, you have Midas HaMalchus. There's a void that comes when there's no malchus, when there's no relationship. That void can't be filled if I dictate it. It looks like it's filled, but it's not. This is one of the great challenges in relationships. So you need that symptom, that helm. You have to have the yam that covers up your presence in order to allow the other person to be, the other person to flourish, the other person to emerge. Any relationship, any relationship, I have to hold back. As much as I, ex- you have to express, if you don't express, there's also no relationship. That's the other side, right? A person who doesn't express anything, you know, guess. I have to express, but as much as I express, I have to express to the point where I have boundaries. I can't kill your eye, I can't destroy your eye, then it's over, then it's just me, fine. You want to live yourself. You can live yourself. You're not going to be able to fill the void that Malchus fills. Because Malchus is a kayak of the nefesh. This is true with, every, with, with all types of relationships. You especially see it in, in close relationships where there is that element of camaraderie. Vos? Camaraderie means a balance between the Malchus and the yes. Malchus. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, the t-shirt, I'm very easy to get along with once you learn to worship me. <laughs> if you could just learn to worship me, it's good. 
It's even brought in Sifrei Kabbalah, the reason that Kedushin, we do Kedushin, Kedushin can happen through three ways, Kesef Starbiya. The Ramah brings in Shulchan Aruch, the Rambam says in Hilchas Yishuz, Nagu Kol Yisrael HaKadosh B'Kesef B'Shav B'Kesef. We do Kedushin B'Kesef. The Ramah brings in Shulchan Aruch, Nagu L'Kadosh B'Tabas. We use a ring, V'Yeshlam Tam B'Tikun Ezer. From the few places the Shulchan Aruch quotes the Zohar, the Ramah quotes the Zohar, why we use a ring, because that's not in Halacha. Why we use a ring. Okay. Uh, one of, so in Tikkun Ezer, there's a whole idea about a tabaz. One of the ideas that's brought is that the tabaz, the ring, really is a graphic image of Tzimtzum. It's brought in, in the Arizal says that before the world was created, God's light was infinite. <coughs> is infinite. So there's no place for anything. So he had to withdraw and conceal his light and create a vacuum. And in that vacuum, in the Cholol, that's where the world emerges. The tabas, when you look at a ring, you have the encircling gold or silver, or white gold or white silver, and inside you have a vacuum, an empty space. So essentially it's a graphic image of penetrating, creating a hole, an emptiness, and around it is the light, which is the image that's used in Kabbalah for the universe. The light is around it, soiv of Kalalman, and inside is empty. So when the man, the chassan, places a ring on the kalas finger, what he's saying is, God wanted to get married to us. Yeah. He wanted to get married to us. That's essentially the purpose of creation. Hashem wanted to be a melech. He wanted to be a melech. There's only one issue. He wanted to get married to us. Now, you cannot, you could be a perfect bachelor, in America especially. You could be a perfect bachelor. You could be a bachim at Alamilas. You can have your own company. You can have your own business. You could own three homes, a private jet. You could be slim and handsome and all the milas in the world. The only thing a perfect bachelor can't be is, can't be married. By definition, you need somebody else for that. So, I mean... I don't know if the expression is probably improper, but I just want to bring out the point. God essentially is a perfect bachelor. He has all the milas in the world and beyond the world, right? He's perfect, but he's a bachelor. He's alone. <laughs> By definition, he's alone. He wanted to get married. He wanted to get married. There's only one problem. You need somebody else. So how do you make somebody else? So you have to make a tzimtzum. You have to conceal himself so there could be somebody else. So when we put the ring... On the Kala's finger, what we're saying is, I also want to get married. In order to get married, I also understand that I have to create room for somebody else. If I don't create room for somebody else, I can't get married. So the ring is the empty space that I create in my ego where you could come in. If my only, the only space that fills my life is me, I have no space for you. So we may be living in the same house, but whenever you express yourself, I have no space for it. I block it out. It's me to exclusion of somebody else, or it's her, to the exclusion of somebody else. You can't have a relationship with like that. You can't. So what happens in many relationships? One of two things happens. Either one of them wears the pants, and the other one becomes subservient. You're familiar with that model? So basically, technically, you obliterated one party, and that's fine. Or, you basically live separate lives, because you can't connect. So you're in your world, the other one is in another world. In other words, you run away from each other. Because if you're together, you're dealing with two bulls, untamed, who are goring each other. So it can't be. Either one becomes a sheep and one becomes a bull. 
or they both remain bulls and they detach physically or conceptually, or there's a third model. And the third model is the model of Malchus. The model of Malchus is the understanding that I don't have to be afraid of it, on the contrary. There will be a void in me that will be filled as a result of me not owning the entire conversation, not owning the relationship. There's the value that emerges through a real relationship with a real person who is outside of you. It's scary for many people. It's dramatic. But the mystique, the blessing, and the challenge of a relationship is exactly that. The emotion of love I can experience within myself. I don't need the actual tangible knocking against your head. But relationship without love is not. But the, to experience the malchus is the sense of a certain sense of exaltedness in the self that happens as a result of the impact of the other. That I need the other. I cannot do that in myself. I can't create that in myself. I could sit on a mountain and be filled with love to trees, to worms. People do it. To plants, to the galaxies, to myself. A person has a, sits on a mountain and he imagines his girlfriend and he writes poetry to her. It works. Huh? Platonic, yeah. Not I'm creating, no, no, no. I'm not. If it's trying to fill me, then it's not Malchus. That's a good question. So this is another important Yisoyed about Malchus. Malchus in Yiddishkeit is different than Malchus in the world. Malchus in the world is... You have a New York mayor who will spend $100 million from his own money to get reelected. In other words, he's craving the position, right? He buys the office. He buys the office because he has a void, whatever it is that he wants to fill. Fine. Malchus in Judaism, so take for example David HaMelech, yeah? Didn't want it. Moshe Rabbeinu, didn't want it. Didn't want it. They both had to be pushed and forced. It's brought uh, that the Baal Shem Tev did not want to be, uh, he didn't want to be public. And basically his Rebbe told him, Achir Shalani told him, because of some subtle sin that you did, you're going to get punished. What's the punishment? Mm-hmm. That you have to reveal yourself. <laughs> you have to reveal yourself. For the Baal Shem Tev, that was a punishment. The fact that we could say his name today was a punishment. Because for him, much better, he's Dvekas with God, Vastafas. The idea of world fame didn't speak to these people. Why? Because they were completely wholesome inside of themselves. Fakert. To take them out of it was a punishment. It was a punishment. There was a Yid who told me, he remembered, in 1950, they were pushing the Lubavitch Rebbe to become a Rebbe. He said, no, 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 a whole year. So once he said, if you're going to nudge me again, I'm going to take my wife, and we're going to run away, and we're going to live on an island for the rest of our life, and nobody's going to know where we are. Stop nudging me. And he meant it. He was very genuine. Why is it? It's not Stam because they're good people. It's, it's, it's a definition of Malchus. If I become a leader, or a Rebbe, or a Manik, because I need it, then I can't be here for you. You're here for me. If I need to be a Rebbe, 
for whatever reason, the money, the power, the covered, the whatever it is, whatever the reason is, or maybe my ambition, then I need you, so then I can't be here for you. Why can't I be here for you? Because really I'm a slave to you. This type of Rebbe is a slave to the people because the people are the one who give him his chivas. So he actually can't even think about the people. The people have to be thinking about him. He becomes subservient to the people. He's actually not a melech, he's an evet. That's why the moment he sees the people are not with him, he goes crazy because it's all about what he needs from the people. A real leader means you're actually leading the people. You're here for the people. How could you be here for the people? The people are here for me. The people are here to make me the leader. The answer is, it's a punishment. (laughs) I actually, I'm very happy. You want to throw me away? That's wonderful. That's a reward. Why am I doing it? I'm doing it as a sense of of a duty, of a privilege. This is my mission. It's my achrayis. So now I can actually say, what do the people need? So real malchus by definition has to be has to have a component of selflessness. selflessness. Yes, that's what... If not, it's not real malchus. It's a different thing. That's why it works on an individual level. Yes, an individual level too. You can give much more to people, right, when you're not sitting there and asking, how can they feed me? Ask not. Ask not what the people can do for you. Ask what you can do for the people. The only one who can really do that is a Moshe Rabbeinu, who says, I don't need this. I don't want this. I'm happy in the desert with sheep. You don't get this. I don't get a thrill from the attention. I don't need it, Moshe says. It's not like if Kairach smiles to me and says, you're such a good guy. You're such a good-looking Rebbe. Yeah? Here, use my uh, my, uh, my Lamborghini. Yeah? Moshe gets a thrill. He doesn't care. He does, it's a punishment for him. Now you can actually be there for the people. In marriage, it's the same thing. The greatest moment in a relationship is when you could be there for the other person, not because you're waiting for their compliment. I can actually be there for you, for your sake. And what happens in you? Your malchus actually comes out. Very good question. So why do you feel fulfilled afterwards? It's the result. It's the result, excellent. But one step deeper. Because Nasa Adam because we're created in the image of Hashem. And this is where modern psychology didn't hit the spot yet. It's going to get there in a few years, but it didn't hit yet. In all therapy today, the focus is you have to have your needs met. You have to have your needs met, always. Which is an important idea. Is the relationship fulfilling your needs? What are your needs? What are your fears? What are your concerns? What are your issues? Right? Express, express, express. Our grandmothers didn't have needs and concerns. They just followed the program. And in our generation, you have to talk about your needs and your concerns. It's all about self-expression, which is an important idea. What they're missing is the fact that part of the soul is malchus. Because we're created in the image of Hashem, why did Hashem need to be a melech? He also needed attention. God said, you know, I'm pretty lonely here. Nobody tells me I'm nice. I never had a mother to nurture me. I never had a father to hug me. I'm mamish alone in the world. So basically I'm going to create a universe and I'm going to have them say hallelujah 900 times a day, which is what Judaism looks like, and scream hallelujah, 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 you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. You know how to resurrect the dead, you heal the sick, you kill us, you give us life, you support us, you give us rain, you give us snow. 
have 50 million Jews say it every single day, three times a day, God says it feels good. Vifel is Ashir. Vifel is Ashir. How many times? I mean, the most egomaniacs don't have to hear it every time. So many, so many times. It's like, please, it's, it becomes a little pathetic, no? It's like, enough. So those who don't think God is listening don't have an issue with it. So that's, it works. It works for a lot of people. But if you really believe that God is listening to you, it's like, well, imagine you do this to your wife. You think it'll work? It'll work for five minutes, ten minutes, two days, three days. If you sit an hour, three times a day, you're this, you're that, you're that. Mr. Shukin, get out of here. So today, do you think I'm so insecure? Yeah. So you, <laughs> so you have to understand the Nakuda. The Nakuda really is that Malchus Lamaila is not because I needed the validation. Right? It's because the Arizal says it's brought in many Svarim, Emekamelech. Teva Hatoiv Lahetiv. Lahetiv Lebruv means. Malchus means that God in his deep core <coughs> felt he wants to share himself with another. Why does he want to share himself with another? Not because the self was missing something. Not because I feel horrible about me and I need your validation. It's coming from a place of wholesomeness. It's a choice. It's not yeah. God needs us and therefore he loves us. It's the other way around. He loves us and therefore he needs us. That's a very big difference. So one of the... And it's a shmuz, but between the Kabbalim and the philosophers, there was a huge machlaikas. The philosopher said, God needs you, it's a joke. He doesn't need you. You need him, he doesn't need you. The word need has to be obliterated from the vocabulary of Judaism. The Rambam and others, no need, no need, there's no needs whatsoever. Everything is for you, you, you. He gets nothing out of anything. Not matantayda, not mitzvahs, and ayatzim. It's all for you, you, you. The Mekobolim, there was like a whole romance, you know. God has a husband and a wife, it's all love, and of course he's vulnerable. So, huge machlekes of avoided tzarech kavoye. Does Yiddish guy do anything for God? Does he get anything out of it or not? The philosophers, of course not. Well, what's he get out of it? <laughs> Again, you'll tell the little ant, go right! And the ant says, no, I'm going left. V'chora af Hashem! He's very angry because the ant went left. Really? Imagine, you have an ant in front of your house, he says, go right, put on tefillin, and don't eat that worm because it's treif. And the ant says, I'm going to eat. And you go crazy. I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to kill your kids, I'm going to kill your family. The whole world is going to go crazy. The world is going to become like metal, there won't be rain, you're going to become a sugar, the enemies will eat you up. Really? Because the frog didn't listen to you? Relax. Relax. <laughs> So the, the, the philosophers, the philosophers always said, nothing, it doesn't mean it. it. God doesn't get angry, he doesn't get upset, he doesn't get nervous, and there's nothing happening, there's no emotions. He does things that if a person would do it, you would say, oh, he's angry. That's what he says. That's how they saw. They created this detachment because they had to protect the integrity of God. It's understood. Yeah. The Kabbalah went the other extreme. They're like, no, avoid this tzarech kavoya. Hashem is, is a very deep relationship. It's very vulnerable in this. Uh, the Alter Rebbe was the one who wanted to make peace between the Mikabolim and the Philosophy, the Mernavuchim and the Arizal. So he explains, basically, that it's not that God loves us because He needs us, it's He needs us because He loves us. Meaning, Avodah Hashem does affect Hashem. But it doesn't affect Hashem because He is essentially a frail creature who's dependent on the validation. It's because in his core, in his essence, 
he chose to shear himself with others. He chose to be vulnerable. He chose to be in a relationship. Because he chose to be in a relationship out of choice, out of love, therefore I'm in that relationship. You're going to affect me. But the Ein Sof is untouchable. The Ein Sof is essentially untouchable. But because it's Ein Sof, it has no uh, law, rules. And the Ein Sof chose to be touchable. Out of its choice. That's what Malchus, really did. That's what Malchus accomplished. So Midas HaMalchus is not because I'm needy. Midas HaMalchus is because I'm choosing to be in a relationship with you. And to be affected by you. In Tanya, the Balatanya says, it says, the Gemara says about Metziah, it's a palladical thing that he c- compares the two. The Gemara brings about certain Amirayim who were very big. Physically they were... So the Gemara says, how did they have children? For physically, it didn't work. So the Gemara says, Ahava the Chekas is Habasar. Love makes the flesh shrink. So the love to their spouse, it made their flesh shrink and they can have children. With Papa, yeah. Yeah, a whole Amid of Gemara, exactly how it worked. Huh? So the Balatanya brings this Gemara and he says, the Rebbeinu Shalaylam is infinite. So he also can't have children. He can't have a relationship. So he says, Ava habasa. His Ava made him shrink. Made him shrink. You shrink, now you can have intimacy. So he brings the Gemara. That's the Pshat. Ava habasa. It made him shrink. It made him finite. This is what he says in Tanya Perik Memtes. It made him finite. If he's finite, now there's place for you. Why? Because that's what Ava does. Ava makes, it allowed him to denounce himself for the sake of your son. So Lefi, the philosophers, Vachar is just a euphemism. It says, though he's angry. Lefi, the Mekabalim, no, there's an impact, there's an effect. In the reconciliation, it becomes very interesting. Because the Vechara Af Hashem Bechem is based on a choice, so therefore it can always be healed. It can always be cleansed. you understand? It's, it's real, but it can be cleansed because I'm not defined by it. When I love you because I need you, I'm very, very defined by it. And if you hurt me, it's over. You're done. Because you killed me at my core. But if I need you because I love you, so there was a choice... So there's always freedom in the relationship. Because there's always freedom in the relationship, so we're never stuck. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. That's why this period is free choice. So therefore, Bahashem Midas HaMalchus is not because I need you. It's rather, I want you. Since we're created in God's image, so what is by us Malchus? The same thing. There's a certain component in me that I want to be here for you, for you, not for me. And if I do that, it fills my Midas HaMalchus. And if not, there's a void. So here's a very interesting concept. There's a void in us that's created when we don't have a relationship for the sake of the other person, not because our needs are not met, but because we don't have the ability to give the way God gives. 
that void is a different type of void. It's not I have a void because I didn't get from you what I got. That's something else. It's a void because I didn't live up to the truth of my soul. There's a truth in my soul which says that I'm a melech. What does it mean I'm a melech? I'm a melech means I can experience to be in a relationship for the sake of giving. And as a result, a void is filled. But it's not a void because my needs have to be met, because I'm not confident. There's a wholesomeness in me. But nonetheless, as a result of the relationship with you, there's a certain self that gets satisfied because Hashem person has created in Hashem's image. It's a deeper type of void, yeah. It's a deeper type of void. It's not a void that's born of lack of security. It's a void that comes from wholesomeness. Because a wholesome person can give. If I'm not wholesome, I always have to take. That's why any Rebbe, any leader who becomes a leader because they crave it, they could never do their job right because they're always following the cue of the people. They can't be there for the people. And the void becomes The void is always bigger, yeah. That void is always bigger. That's why generally, you know, somebody asked me, well, how do you know if you could trust somebody, you could trust a rabbi? I said, if he tells you not to trust him, you could usually trust him. In other words, if it's about him, then you have to be careful. But when you see a person who fights tremendously for a position of leadership, right, you have to, you have to look at it a little bit with... Because, because you know, what's going on? It's all for God? It's mamish for God? Fine. But, you know, you want to examine that. You want to examine that because you want to know, I mean, you want me to surrender completely when, uh, when what, what is going to be done with my surrender? You want to protect, you have to protect. The real melech is not a melech. <laughs> There's a pasuk in Malachim when Shleimah HaMelech passes away, Rechavim takes over. And the Jews ask him to uh, take down the taxes because his father was very tough. Shleimah was, took a lot. So Rechavim consulted the young advisors and the senior advisors. Senior advisors said, they're right, let them go, let, be easy. The young advisors said, no, be tougher on them. So they revolted. He lost it, it was over. It was a mistake. But they told him, if you're going to be an Eved La'am Hazah, they'll treat you as a king. If you will be a slave to the people, then you'll be a king. What's Pshat? A real Melech is a bigger Eved than any Eved. Servant leadership, it's a big contemporary concept. The Gemara in Hori is, Gamliel said, appointed two people to become the leaders. They said, we don't want. Gamliel said, you think I'm making you leaders? I'm making you avadim. I'm making you slaves. What's the vart? What do you mean? The melechism. The malchus chayiv misa. Yeah? The Gemara says in brachas, ha-melech kivin shekara shuvein ezoikiv. Everybody by Shemin Esra, you go baruch Hashem, and you stand. The melech, once he goes baruch he stays down. His head has to be down till the end of Shemin Esra. So imagine in Shul, the king, his head is down the whole time. And everybody is like this. If you want, you could throw spitballs on him. You could throw watermelons on him. He's like this. He's down all the way. Really? What was covered? I'm standing in it. He's, he's kneel. He's, he's prostrated. Because the melech is really a bigger ever than everybody else. There's a Rambam in Hilchus Molach. And the Rambam says, Kishem. Just like the Torah says, you have to honor a king with tremendous covet. Kach, the Torah says, he has to be humble. What's the Kashem Kach? It's two separate dinner. Even though the Torah says you have to honor him, he has to be humble. 
The pshat is it's the same gather. The reason the melech has power is because he's really powerless. The melech's power comes from the fact that he's a slave to the people. In other words, it's not him. It's the people. The moment it becomes him, he's a dangerous person. Now, not many kings lived up to this ideal. We know that. Most kings were dictators. At best, they were benevolent dictators. That's ultimately why democracy became such a powerful force, because humanity suffered in the hands of tyrants and monarchs who were either absolute crazy nutjobs, or, at best, they were dictators who were not so evil and malicious, but they were dictators. You know, from Louis XIV uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, etc. But the real Melech, the ideal Melech, his head is more bowed down than anybody else. Why? Because he has so much power, he has to remember, it's not that I deserve this power, or I own this power, or I need this power. No! I'm happy to be in my bedroom. I'll serve God on my own. I don't need this. Yaakov who I caught and David who I caught and Moshe of my. So why am I doing this? To serve who? To serve Hashem and to serve the people. In order to serve the people, I represent the people, because I represent the people. So the power of the Melech comes from the people, from the fact that he embodies the people. The moment it's a personal thing, you're here for me, and I'm going to manipulate you. Then there's no cover to the Melech. The whole cover to the Melech is because he's completely selfless. If he's selfless, when I give honor to the king, who am I giving honor to? I'm giving honor to that which the king became, that which the king embodies. What does the king embody? Selfless dedication to Hashem and to Knesset Yisrael. More than anybody else, because he represents the leader. That's a real leader. That's a real leader. He's a much bigger ever than everybody else. Other people have a personal life. Other people have their own life. And he actually doesn't have that. He doesn't have that. I'll tell you some an interesting moment in uh, something that happened once. In 1985, there was a very interesting debate, a very interesting court case that happened. You're familiar with the story? The sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe had a grandson. He had three daughters. One was killed. He had one daughter who married the Lubavitcher Rebbe. They didn't have children. And he had an oldest daughter who had a son. His name was Gerari. He decided that his father-in-law died. His seder died in 1950. He had a huge library. One of the biggest libraries he had. Already in Russia, a tremendous library. Things like the Baal Shem Tev Siddur, Kisveyad of the Rishonim, like very, very expensive library. Very precious. So his grandson, he had two daughters. One was killed. One was Schneerson, and one was Gerari. So he said it's 50-50, and he has access 50%. And he went in without, but he didn't ask the Rebbe because he knew it's not so simple. He took, a, he took hundreds of books and he sold them. The Lubavitch Rebbe found out, and he told his brother-in-law, he said, this wasn't a private library. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to, it belongs to the Rebbe as a Rebbe. It belongs to the Chabad movement. It doesn't belong to us. We can't, we can't sell the books. He didn't want to stop. There was a court case. A court case. It was a huge court case. 1986. And uh, it went 1986. It was a major... And it was a very interesting court case. The question was, a Rebbe built a library. Who does it belong to? If it belonged to him as an individual, he died. He had two daughters. 50-50. Shneir Sengarari. If it belonged to the Rebbe, not as an individual, but as a Rebbe, he's a leader. So it's not that his children can't take it away. Even the next Rebbe can't take it away. It belongs to, 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 to the people. 
Fascinating debate. It was basically people like Elie Wiesel testified. Uh, in, in Britain, there was a famous uh, conservative Kabbalist, uh, what was it? Louis Jacobs, uh, philosophers. It was very interesting. Was here in New York, that case? Yeah, in New York on, on, on Adam Street. Oh, on Adam Street. The judge was Judge Sifton, who was a son-in-law of Niels Bohr. Niels Bohr's son-in-law was one of the greatest physicists. He, he said, no, I'm not a Jewish guy. It was a fascinating, fascinating court case. They went who the Balshemtiv was. So one of the biggest questions was, how does a Rebbe get power? Where, where, where does he get the co- where does, We know how a president gets power. There's elections. Where does it, we know how a tycoon of business gets power. You own a lot of money. Where does a Rebbe get his power? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Does it, this is a fascinating question. Who decides he's a rebbe? What type of rights does he have? Can he sell your house? Can he take your money? Can he take your books? This was a very interesting, uh, very interesting. So they brought in secular experts on Hasidus, how it works, and how it worked in Chabad. So uh, at the end, they, 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 the, the, the people to testify the best were the daughters of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. He had two daughters alive, Mrs. Schneerson. Lubavitch Rebbe's wife, Rebbe Tzachai Moshe Schneerson, and her sister, her older sister, her name was Mrs. Gorari, Mrs. Chana Gorari, the oldest, her older sister. So they both, but they were, uh, one mother decided with uh, with her son, because it was her son, and Lubavitch Rebbe's wife felt otherwise. But the sisters were very close, but this was a very serious debate. So she was an older lady already, she was in her 80s, so they brought, they decided they're not going to bring her to court, they're going to go to her house, Lubavitcher Rebbe's house, and have her testify. So they brought all the lawyers from both sides, and you know they do, uh, what is it called? Deposition. Deposition, yeah. Deposition went for hours. It went for hours. And she was an older lady. I mean, the two sisters were already in their, this is in their 80s, the, the 86, 87. So the lawyers on behalf of the of the Chabad side were very afraid because... Uh, the, 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 the positions, you know, they play with your mind. You know, they... they, they you have to hear some lawyers. Yeah, Lubavitch first tried with Rabbi with a dentator, whatever he didn't want. So they went to court. Yeah. They went to court to make an ikkel, to make a a restraining order, and then ultimately the whole thing went into court. First, they had to restrain because he was taking books. He made a lot of money. He sold a lot, a lot of books. They got the books back. They got all the books back. It took years, but they got the books back. He got to get other books back. This, the communists confiscated no, most of the library. Yeah, that's already the Balatanya's so library. They the so they posed. So they were afraid. So uh, uh, Rabbi Krinsky, who ran the case, is Lubavitch Rebbe said there. I heard from him that he went into the Rebbe and he said, you know, they're going to really grill your wife. It's not going to be simple. So he says, you don't worry about my wife. Zihata Shneus and Kop. She has a, a Shneus in head. She'll pass with flying colors. Don't worry about mine. Anyway, they grilled her. Ooh, I saw the video of it. There's a video somebody took. Video yeah, they take her to it. They grilled her, and they try to confuse you. You know, when you're 86, 87 years old, you know, two hours, boom, back, forth, back, forth. They didn't stop. They didn't stop. They wanted to prove the library is personal property. At the end, they turned to her. They're the lawyers of uh, Gerari. And they say, Mrs. Schneerson, Tell us the truth. Who did the books belong to? Did they belong to your father, or did they belong to uh, to the 
to the community. So she looked and she said, the book, or to the Hasidim, or to the Hasidim. She said, the books belong to my father. So they were like, whoa! The Babich Rebbe's wife delegitimize everything! And she said, but my father belonged to the Hasidim. My father belonged to the Hasid. My whole father belonged to the Hasid. My father didn't have anything else. He belonged to that. That's what she said. They were like, whoa. <laughs> Sifton, in his verdict, this was the line that, this was the line he said that uh, made him decide. Yeah, He said he understood that the relationship doesn't have its counterpart in the legal and secular world. It doesn't have it. It's a different relationship. It's a relationship that's completely based on choice on both levels. That itself is breaking the part of the judge. Yeah. Actually say such a yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. He said he realized it's a different relationship on both sides. The chassid can't be forced to choose his rebbe. If yes, it's a different relationship. He has to, he has to choose. He can't be forced. The rebbe can't be forced to go in. It's all voluntary. All vol- The rebbe has to choose and the chassid has to choose because there's no legal. It's not like you, you don't own anything. And I don't know, you don't own me, I don't own you. He said, once they choose, because it's a choice, they decide that it should be complete. If I don't choose, it's not going to be complete, because there's a part of me that resents it. If I'm forced to be in a relationship with you, so part of me is in it, part of me is not in it. If I choose it, then it's a free relationship. So he says, once they choose it, it's complete that he says, this is my life. I'm completely dedicated to you. Not because I need. Not because you need. Maybe because I feel you need. But it's not to fill my need. So therefore, my very entity belongs to you. So in a way, because it's a choice, it could be much deeper. Why can it be much deeper? Because it's not here to fill my void. It's being done from a wholesome place. If it's being done from a wholesome place, then it's absolute. So the dedication is a different type of dedication. From a position of strength. Because if, if it's coming from a position of weakness, then the moment you become strong, you're like, get out of my life. You know, some people go into relationships out of weakness. And then when they become strong, they're like, I really don't need this. I really don't need this. The only reason I need you is because I'm not independent. Because I need somebody to tell me that I'm great. Because So the moment I don't need that, the moment I go to therapy, bye-bye, Charlie. If it's from a position of strength and from a choice, it's a whole different thing. That's malchus. Because we each have malchus, we each have this quality in our own way. When I don't live this quality, I have a void, but it's a different type of void. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.